Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be doing the conference call today. Um, Leo or Gayatri, could you start our first question, please? Oh, sure, Rebecca. Rata. Sorry, if you're speaking, we can't hear you. Good night. Hi. Um, thank you, Rebecca. Thank you uh, for taking my call. Uh, I have a quick question. I got a 485J RFE asking to interfile with my um, EB2-140, originally the petition was, the, the 485 application was based on EB3. So nowadays they are sending RFEs for us to connect with the, uh, 485, uh, with the 485J with the EB2. So the response, um, the response was sent on April 6th. Um, the online status hasn't changed so far and neither was there any decision that was made. Is there something to worry about it or typically does it take that long? No, not necessarily. Um, We're starting to get more approvals now, but there are still a number, I would say the majority of the applications that interfiled to EB2 are still pending, um, even if we submitted the interfile requests back in February. Um, So I would say it's not abnormal, um, but hopefully it does sound like USCIS is trying to move as many as possible to EB2 so that they can approve as many as possible by September 30th. So the only estimate we can give right now is if USCIS meets their goal, um, hopefully it should be approved by the end of September, but um, between now and then it's hard to say. Oh, okay. So, so, I mean, even though the status online hasn't changed that they have received it, I just got a 485J receipt on the 16th of April. That's about 10 days after we filed that. Yeah, online case status doesn't always update for an RFE being received. Oh, okay. And then then we can raise a service request after 60 days from the time we responded to the RFE or? Just to check if they have an update, but they may not necessarily um, provide you much information if they're still processing the case. Okay, but basically nothing to worry. Okay, okay, cool. The next question I have is um, my daughter, she traveled to India and then she came back on her advanced parole that she had, uh, you know, approved. So what they've done was when she returned back to the States, um, they put in an I-94, which has an expiry of an year from now. But uh, technically, you know, as long as the adjustment of status is pending, isn't she allowed to stay in the U.S.? I mean, what does that I-94 really mean is, is what I wanted they to know as well. provide one year. That's standard for the advanced parole. As long as the I-45 is pending, then she is in status. She okay, so we don't need to... Okay, and we don't need to reapply for any new I-94 no. or anything like that. Okay, okay, cool. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I appreciate that. Sure.
அருண் ஒரு <laughs> Um so there's no limit on the amount of H4 time that you can use and being in H4 status doesn't count towards your 6 year H1B limit. So if in your H1B limit you've only used 3 years so far then you still have those 3 years that you can No 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 I have an approved I140 already so I I don't have any limit. Okay. But okay. if I spend more than 6 years on H4 will i have difficulty getting back into an h1b or will will the usa has asked me to get down to a cap because what i heard is within the last 6 years uh you should have no. made an h1b you will state. not need to go through the lottery again even if it's 20 years from now you won't need to go through the lottery again okay thank you arana hi hi rebecca hi uh, i am thank you for taking my call i am currently on h1b visa and uh, my office team told me that i can work anywhere across the globe can i go to india and can i work in india for 6 months yes that's fine i'm i assume you're an indian citizen but uh, the payroll runs on us dollars will it be okay that's kind of up to the company that's more of a tax issue on the company side As far as US immigration goes, your work authorization depends on where you physically are. So, if you are physically in India and you're an Indian citizen and authorized to work in India, the US immigration system doesn't care really. Then the how you're paid is more of a tax matter that the company might need to discuss with their accountants or you may need to um they may set up a contracting relationship with you where you end up just you know paying the taxes in india directly i'd say that's more common for american companies um no, employees yeah I, yeah I, yeah i understand but uh, uh, i mean i'm not going to inform to my company because client already told me so i am working through a vendor so i'm not going to talk to to my vendor saying that i'm in india because uh, i when i spoke with the client client said you can work anywhere remotely we are okay with that so that's the reason i'm raising usas will bring any problem in in my future career that's the only concern rebecca usas is not concerned if you are not in the us when you're not in the us you are not using any status you're not in h1b status if you're in india so um you'll need to i 
would still tell my employer, I think it's a good idea to tell your H-1B petitioner where you physically are so that they can take care of any, like I said, tax implications of where and how you're paid and how they handle your payroll. But as far as any, any immigration matters, USCIS is fine with you working anywhere outside the US. It doesn't concern them. Okay, uh, min minimum two months is allowed if, if that's not the case. Any amount of time. If you spend 10 years in India working, USCIS will not have a problem with it. Okay. Uh, thank okay. you, Rebecca. Thanks right. a lot. Shaker. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Uh, I have a question yeah. about. Uh, hello, are you able to hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, I have a question about uh, uh, I-140 filing in EB2, and also I need to interfile my pending 485 in EB3 to EB2. Uh, mm -hmm. So what my company's attorney is planning, uh, they're planning to do concurrent filing of this I-140 uh, along with the interfiling request. Uh, if they do so, it will go to Texas Center, uh, you know, I'm afraid that my interfiling will stuck in Texas uh, because of uh, the kind of, you know, situation what we are seeing with Texas Center, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm afraid of this concurrent filing. Um, so is there any better way uh, to, do, um, to handle this? So you already have an I-485 that's filed and pending based on an EB3, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. 485 so is pending in EB3. And I have to mm -hmm. interfile, but my uh, I-140 in EB2 is not approved. I mean, mm, mm, uh, with my current employer, it's not yet filed. It's not yet filed. Okay. We need to file. Yeah. Okay. So actually for an interfile, when they, so they're not, you're not planning to file a new set of I-485 applications, right? You're just wanting to convert your existing I-485 from EB3 to EB2? Yes. Or yeah. are you planning yeah, no, I'm not refiling. Yeah, I'm not refiling. I want okay. to interfile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in that case, when they say they're filing concurrently, that's not really an accurate description. So the when they file your I-140 application in EB2, which they're about to do, the transfer of underlying basis guidance that USCIS released, it does say that you should include in the I-140 petition like a cover sheet that says that this I-140 that we're filing now is going to be used as the basis of an already pending I-485 application, and they can right. include that I-485 receipt. However, okay. to actually include the interfile request, I think that they will still need to file a J supplement and mail it to the Western Form Center. Um, exactly. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so your I-140 will go to the Texas Service Center. There's no way around that. Any I-140s um, that are filed sure. will go to either the Texas or Nebraska Service Center. There's no way to file an I-140 directly with the Nebraska Service Center. Um, right. So that it won't hold up your case in any way. They're just sending the I-140 where it's supposed to be and including a note that says that this is going to be part of an interfile. And then they should separately be sending a J supplement to the Western Form Center um, that includes the actual interfile request. And then that USCIS will have to scan and send that interfile request to be matched with the with your I-45 case, wherever it is. Okay, so um, uh, my labor is expired. Uh, um, so can I mm -hmm. file I-140 directly in uh, a premium? 
this is yeah as well if it's already expired as in it was used in a previous i140 before i guess for your eb3 that yes, term right yeah. For the EB3. Yeah. um yeah so they can reuse that same term but usually you can't file in premium processing right away usually what you have to do is file it in regular processing and then after you get mm -hmm. the receipt notice for the i140 then you can try upgrading it to premium processing by sending in the additional 2500 yeah you see yeah, it usually Right away. It, yeah, it just, I mean, uh, uh, by it's expired in January, a few months back, four, four months back, okay. but still we still we cannot file uh, I-140 in you B2. Try. In um, if it was relatively recent, the reason why we normally don't do it initially mm -hmm. with the um, I-140 upfront is because USCIS, if it's a labor certification that they have in their files, they have to go pull it from your EB3 file. And it, depending on how long it takes them to find that EB3 file in their own records, um, mm -hmm. they can't guarantee a two-week turnaround. So it is more likely that they can find it quickly if it was filed relatively recently. Mm -hmm. So if it was filed in January, you can try if you want, but the only thing is um, if USCIS can't pull it fast enough, then they might reject the whole thing. Um, you know, send back the entire I-140. So that's why we usually try to get the I-140 at least filed, definitely filed, and then work on the premium upgrade from there. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Uh, next question. Akil? Yes. Uh, hi, Rebecca. This is Akil. Uh, hi. Uh, yes, I have a question. So um, my uh, employer is going to file my H-1 now. And I have I have got an offer for just a three weeks a contract from an, a different company, so I'm still on H1O uh, F1OPT. So I guess I can work both my uh, both the jobs. So uh, while filing the H1, when they ask for this uh, pay stub, should I include the pay stubs from the other company as well or no? Um, yeah. So during this time that you're on OPT, you can work for more than one company. You just need to make sure that by the time you're in H-1B status, like starting in October, at that point, you're only authorized to work for your H-1B petitioner. So you'll need to, you know, stop work for the other company by then if you haven't already. For your pay stub, um, if you have informed your DSO about the additional like three-week employment and they have issued you another I-20 that includes that second employer, then I would say you can go ahead and include both pay stubs. Um, if you haven't yet gotten that updated I-20 from your employer and your H-1B petitioner is ready to file your case, um, I would just go ahead and include the pay stubs from your H-1B employer only. It shouldn't be okay. a problem. Yes, I didn't update my... Um... I didn't update my DSO yet, so. Okay, I would definitely still update your DSO, but I wouldn't necessarily hold up the H-1B filing for that new I-20 or the pay stubs from the new employer. Um, just make sure you update your DSO at some point. Okay, yep. Yeah. So no need to send those pay stubs from the other employer, right? Right. Yeah, okay, yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. Sure. Hard. Hi, Rebecca. Um, I just recently changed my status from L1B to H4 and I stopped working and I'm waiting for my H4 EAD. It's still in the process. I applied concurrently, but H4 EAD is still in the process. Now, my company also applied for the L1B extension for the future date. So that date would be July 20, 
uh, this year for next uh, another two years. So it's it's also in the process. My question is, what will happen if my L1B approve, approved before my H4D or H4EAD arrived? Yeah. Um, so they put a start date for the L1B extension. They put it as July of this July. year. July. Right? Yeah, because uh, I was on the L1B earlier and my expired was in July 20, but then I changed my status from L1B to H4 to be on the H4 EAD. Okay, so your previous L1B status expired in 2020? Uh, no, uh, July 20 this year, just oh, after okay. one and a half months, yes. Okay, so actually right now your L1B is still valid then, but your H4 change of status is pending and in process? So so I, I just got my H4 approval and I stopped working because now um, I'm I'm on H4 right H4 now. I'm, yes, I'm waiting for H4 EAD. Okay. And I have a L1B extension also pending. Yeah, that's kind of tricky. I, I would say if the L1B gets approved before the EAD arrives, so one thing that could happen when the L1B extension gets approved is that it can sort of almost cancel out your H4 approval. Okay. Um, and so it would sort of put you back in L1B status to the, where you kind of need to work actually to properly maintain that L1B status. Um, so if the L1B does get approved before you receive the EAD, you'll need to start working basically once that extension is approved, I would say, if it is July 20th. If it's before July 20th, you don't necessarily need to. Um, if your EAD is approved while the L1B extension is still pending, I mean, your goal is to get the EAD, I'm assuming. Yes, my right? goal is to get an EAD, but I, I didn't want it to revoke the L1B application as well, yeah. because I don't know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. If you do get the EAD, then you'll have to try to withdraw the L1 as soon as possible, because if it actually gets approved after you get the EAD, like I said, it could kind of cancel out your H4, which would also make the EAD invalid. There's a way to fix it. If that does accidentally happen, if the company can't withdraw the L1 fast enough for some reason, you could travel to Mexico and come back with automatic revalidation with H4 approval to mm -hmm. kind of reset your H4 status. So that's kind of a backup. Um, okay. But uh, if you can get the L1 withdrawn fast enough by the time you get your EAD, that would be preferable. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Sure. Next question. Satvik. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have a few questions about updating H4 I-94 extension uh, based on uh, spouse's H1 approved extension. Uh, my H1B extension has been approved in premium and currently we are waiting for the H4 extension. We plan to drive to the US border and approach the CBP to update extend my spouse's H4 I-94. So I have one question. So if we visit the CPP and if they extend I-94 only until the current valid uh, H4 I-94 date, which is usually two weeks more than the valid day of the I-797, can this be used to avail automatic extension? Technically, yes. Um, it's usually a 10-day grace period that they add to an I-94 at entry. And yes, technically that can be used for the auto extension, but it doesn't really help that much if it's only 10 days. But technically you could use that if they don't end up extending to like 2025 to match your okay. H-1B extended date. 
Um, so one thing that um, I will mention, um, so we have uh, been recommending actually that people go to Mexico to kind of get in effect, get a faster H4 extension. We have been hearing more cases in the last few weeks of people not successfully being able to do it if they are going across a land border. Um, it sounds like when people are traveling by air, there's no problem for the most part. Um, they're giving the extended H4 I-94 if you are flying. Um, it's still not guaranteed because of course the H4 spouse is coming back without an H4 I-797 approval notice in their own name. Um, but most of the time the officers are giving both people in the couple the 2025 end date if you're mm. flying. We've had definitely like more than one um, story. We've heard more than one instance in the last few weeks um, of like CBP officers at the border refusing to do that. Um, okay. So that may be something to consider. It does seem to be kind of based on the officer, but it's happening more enough at the land borders that it may be coming sort of a policy at the land border crossing. So that may be something to consider. Okay, uh, my second question. If you were to receive the H4 extension until the current I-94 uh, on the H4 expires, as it is at a discretion of the CPP officer, could we go in again a second time and try if, if a, a different officer would now approve the extended H1B valid date? Yes, you can always travel again if you, you know, if you have a, if you're eligible to enter Mexico um, as a visitor. Um, so there's nothing stopping you from crossing and then coming back as long as you have the, um, expired visa and an I-797 approval notice that's at least valid, you know, to some point in the future. You can definitely try again. Um, but like I said, I would probably recommend flying if possible okay. because it sounds like that is a better shot. Okay, so I have one. Currently, I-94 is actually taking a long time to get to be updated on the CBP website. Uh, what is our recourse to prove that our to our employers that uh, other than the port, uh, stamp uh, at the port of entry? Um, you mean the online record is taking a long time to update? Yeah. Okay. For most people, from our understanding, it's updated, you know, within a day of their oh. entry into the US. Okay. Okay. I just saw some blogs, so I just wanted to know. Okay. Uh, and when is the best time to visit? Uh, yeah. right, um, we'll have to go on to another question. Um, yes. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Rebecca. Uh, I have a question uh, related to my pending I-485 application. Uh, so me and my wife uh, together filed the I-485 under the EB-2 category, and we used the cross-chargeability uh, uh, to assign my wife's uh, country of birth uh, for the visa. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so I noticed uh, there is a one uh, issue on my application. While filing, what I have done is like, I have accidentally mentioned on my application, like um, to my birth country, like I born in India, I just uh, had uh, India as a birth country. Everything is uh, like her application is very, very uh, her application is fine. Like everything is correct on her application. And in my application, I just mistakenly um, filled out as an in India. So- But your country yeah. is India, right? 
yeah my country of birth is india like spouse there is a column called spouse right details on the spouse country of birth uh, yeah so in the spouse country of birth option i uh, i i you mistakenly put india as your wife's country of yeah. birth on your yes. i485 form in the spouse section yeah okay i don't think that will be too much of an issue um yeah if it was correct in her application and um, hopefully in your I-485 supporting documents for both of you, did you include a copy of your wife's birth certificate yes. and the yeah. request for cross-chargeability? Yeah, and the cover. Okay. Okay, yeah, because usually when we do cross-chargeability, we include like a cover sheet or even a colored cover sheet that kind of, you know, makes it clear that we're requesting a cross-chargeability. Um, right. If they are aware that it's cross-chargeability and the birth certificate is there for your wife that, you know, clearly states what her country of birth is and it's correct in her form, I think it should be fine. Um, yeah, there are typos that happen in the forms all the time. Yeah. Um, and okay, following up question on this one, uh, since like uh, my case and my file uh, is in National Benefit Center, her case in local field office, the vote the, the got like I don't know how it's gonna impact like when I when I chat with Emma like Emma was saying like my my case was in national benefit center her case was in local field office okay uh, yeah should uh, I act it by filing interfile and uh, yeah is there an option that to be considered um I wouldn't necessarily try to correct it through an interfile I would say if it's serious enough that the agency is questioning her actual country of birth, they'll send a request for evidence or call you both in for an interview. Um, there is a chance that they may call you in for an interview anyway. Um, even if you had filled out the form correctly, um, cross-charge ability um, cases are more common to be called in for an interview anyway, since it um, is just you know a different type of case. Um, and if they've transferred her case to the local field office, Yours may also be on the way to the local field office. Um, usually families that file together, their cases go to the same location. So um, it usually goes to a local field office when it's going to be interviewed. So if that's the case and you get called in for an interview, you can definitely at that time, um, you know, tell the officer that you have a correction to make to the form. And in those interviews, we've seen officers a lot of times just you know, write in what the correction is and have you not at all. Okay. Um, yeah. We'll go into the next question. You're a 40. Oh, I think you're muted. Okay. Oh, I think you're still muted. Sorry. I'm trying to unmute. Yes, I can hear you now. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm currently visiting a family here in America on a, on a B2 um i've been granted the six month stay until the 13th of july mm -hmm. um but i've been given a job offer now so we, we we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to to make this happen um we visited in fact this weekend um we visited mexico twice uh, and none of the border posts uh, extended that stay they decided to stick with the initial uh, I-94 date. So I'm in the process of starting to, to file an official extension 
for the B2 visa. But I was just wondering, I mean, um, because when I came over, I read that while you are in America, you can you can ask to, to change the status of your visa. And one of the examples that they did give was should you get a job offer? So this is what in fact now happens, but it seems like we're running into obstacles every time we're trying to do that. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess we're just trying to find the, the right way. Yeah, it is possible to file a change of status from a visitor visa to a work visa while you're here. Um, it is kind of limited. So as long as you're initial entry in, I guess it would have been January, as long as at that time you yeah. were not coming in already with a job offer and kind of using the visitor visa as a way to um, come in first, um, then yeah. it should be fine. If you got the job offer after you came in as a visitor, technically that's fine and you can file a change of status to a work visa. In that case, you just need to make sure you get the paperwork for the work visa application filed before July um, before the end date on your I on your current I ninety four as long as it's filed yeah. on time. Um, it may depend. Also, do you know what? Have you spoken to an attorney already to determine what type of work visa you would be applying for? Uh, we've spoken to two different uh, lawyers, and and we've been given advice. Uh, probably the H two B which okay. was advised to us because um, um, my family member has a construction, a general construction business. So, um, but I guess while I was in my home country, if you, if you get a job offer and before you come over, you have to go through a whole process of advertising the position. Yeah. Um, but is it different now the fact that I'm here or do I qualify now as any other citizen here? It's, if you're going for the H-2B, then there is still the same process of the company require, having to advertise for the position and go through all the same process. Um, so if the company is not able to complete that process in time to file your application by July, that may be the main challenge. Um, if they're able to file the application for you by July, um, then that's fine. Actually, you could stay in the U.S. while that application is processing, and then once it's approved, you could start working. But it sounds like probably the um, obstacle right now is that because there is a kind of lengthy preparation process for H-2Bs before the company can actually file the application, they may not have enough time to file it by your yeah. current I-94 end date. In that case, I probably would not request an extension of your current B2 status. Um, even though technically you can file an extension of the B2, um, really when you're filing that, you're supposed to be uh, having the, you're filing that B2 extension as a request to extend your visitor stay. And you usually need to include some explanation in that application of why you need another six months um, on the visitor visa. Usually yes. it will need to be something like a medical condition that prevents you from departing or some other sort of unexpected situation. I would say that probably being able to apply for a work visa won't really fly with USCIS as a reason to extend a visitor visa. Um, so I would say if the company is not able to file your 
work visa application before July when your current I-94 expires, I'd say it might be necessary for you to depart to your home country and apply for the visa through the consulate, um, which definitely will take longer because it depends on securing a interview appointment at the consulate and those can be difficult to obtain right now. But um, yeah. my yeah. opinion is that a B2 extension probably doesn't have a very strong chance of approval if the basis is basically a, being able to file a work visa. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, any any other options that you that you can think of? M maybe uh, I was also told that if you fly out and fly back in, that you might get an automatic six month extension. Um, is that true or not really? Um, it could be, but um, like I said, the being able to change status from a visitor status to a work visa, it depends on your intention at entry and. In January, when you entered, you know, you definitely didn't have the intention then if you got this job offer recently. Um, if you yeah. depart and come back in, then you do have the intention at that time. And if they kind of trace back when the job offer was made and your most recent entry, that could also um, make the work visa change of status difficult. Yeah. Okay, um, uh, okay. that's for me. Okay, so um, sorry, we'll need to end the conference here for today. Um, if, you, if we weren't able to get to your question, we are doing another, um, we do these calls daily. Tomorrow's is scheduled for 11.30 central time. Um, and if you do have a more detailed question that um, you know involves kind of your specific situation, uh, you can always book an appointment with one of our attorneys to, um, to have a longer discussion on your particular case. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.